Golight presents Murder Most Irish. Oh no, that's too much of a start. I don't like that. Hi, everybody. No, I hate that. Hey, guys. I like when a, we never start. A podcast. No, I like when a podcast starts like when people are like mid conversation. Yeah, that's how Colin. Because then I feel it. like they're real friends. Yeah, I like listening to podcasts where I'm like they're real friends. We are real friends. How dare what, you? What? <laughs> Would you ever listen to a podcast and you're like they don't like they're not friends? Yeah, that the uh, my favorite murder. They're not friends. They Emma. are friends. Emma, they are not friends. If You're you, cutting yourself. If you think they're not friends, write an email to us um, and tell us. No, I think what it was is they weren't friends before they started the podcast. I think they just knew each other like peripherally. And then when they started the podcast, they became like really good friends. They go to therapy together and everything. Yeah. I'm going to give you your hand warmer so you can take those off. I'm sure like. people are listening to like what the jiggly sounds is. It's um, my, Yvonne bought me this electric hot water bottle and it's truly the greatest thing I've ever owned. Yeah, we asked her where she got it because I, I would like one. She got it in the chemist in Ballymahan. So if you put your hands in there, right? And then the thing is down there. So just let that heat up. So, um, so part of my medical condition um, is, is... She's bleeding, freezing, lads. My extremities get incredibly so cold. cold. And I can't get them warm. So, like, for the past... Because, obviously, it's minus five in Ireland at the minute. Uh, for the past three days, I've just been wearing gloves around my house. Yeah, no, honestly, like, when you put your hands on me in the car, you put your hand on my Feeling face and they go... And I'm wearing gloves. Day, like, you were frozen solid. Like, it was crazy. Um, but I think that that's... It's obviously... It has to be the medication. Yeah, and no, I've been wearing gloves. And I think that thing with your head as well, this the thing. Oh having, yeah, I've got psoriasis in my I think that that has to be linked to the med- Like that starts all of a sudden when yeah. you start taking that medication. It's all in my medicine. Has to, but now that for some reason, clearly our phone was like swapping stuff with each other. All my Instagram videos are now people picking <gasps> uh, pieces of scalp off their hair and people talking about how to fix it. How do they fix One it? One girl said she uses um, an olive oil. She mixes olive oil with something else and just puts it on like the... So like here of her head and yeah. she's like and then it sleeps in it. She's like it seeps down it. I'm like, I don't know if I believe No. Wait to tell you something. Big olive oil or just big olive oil. Trying to put do. it in your ears. That's what my mom says sometimes when you ear My mum used to do that it when we were terrible kids. Idea. We should be like, and you know what she would do? Absolutely insane when I think about it. She would put it heat on it heat, heat it on a spoon yeah, like yeah. a heroin addict. Yeah, yeah, no. And it would burn, burn. the living fuck out of yeah, you. Because it's oil. So shout out to millennial parents who are not doing that to yeah. their children. So my mum put olive oil. It, sorry, what level of olive oil are we speaking? Yeah. Are we speaking like the most authentic, fresh off the <gasps> olive? Tesco best value vegetable. But if we're talking about years, fucking <laughs> crisp and dry, Caroline, <laughs> it's not olive oil. So yeah, no, I think that was very much a. a my mum used to put olive oil in my ears yeah. and then my grandfather the next day used to be like put that olive oil on your football boots I used to rub olive oil on my football boots before I went to football that you had put in your ears that my mum had used to put in my ears was this to make your football boots shine it was to make them shine and to make them slick oh so like if I was is that cheating no but if you're oh. hacking the legs off somebody it's less it's like yeah okay so, so it's more about like if you're it's not to 
in terms of kicking the ball. It was more about one, keeping them like shiny, two, keeping them somewhat clean because like dirt won't cling to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And three, if you're like going into, no, you shouldn't be doing sliding tackles into anybody's legs. He knew you were a bit of a hacker, did he? Oh, yeah. Um, I had a temper on the football pitch. He said she's up to no good. I broke someone's nose on Jesus. my like third match. Oh, right it in the wa- face. It wasn't like... Was it accidental? It, I kicked the ball and it like hit them right in the face, but they like got into a fight with me and I played for an all boys football team yeah I love that I, I love the that only girl all, on the football team I love team. that you played for an all boys yeah, football team I I think that's like, so and then fun. someone boy that used to be on the football team with me called Mark he was so nice and uh, he got like a busted nose oh. from like uh, like th- they got into a scrap proper fight and uh, I couldn't be stopped I jumped in <gasps> you were like no Mark no Mark like Mark wants to be a paleontologist like, when he grows up. The end of that movie. What's that movie where they're like, Dah! what's that movie? Oh, Gross Point. Gross Point. Yeah, yeah. You were like that with Mark. Yeah, no, he was my ride or die. These are so he was, cute. My gloves are really cute. Oh my god, look, my little fingers sticking out. Oh, I have these. Are, I wear little mittens now, like a fucking Ebenezer Scrooge. Honestly, like a Dickens yeah. character. <laughs> but that's what I was like last night when I was typing because it was so cold in my room. Yeah, I was actually like typing like I had a little typewriter and it was a Dickens character it was fucking freezing lads it's freezing I had an Udi on and then you know that round water bottle I've got yeah 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 I had that on my head <laughs> like a hat and <laughs> object poverty right now. I had that on my head like a hat I had gloves on I had an Udi on and um, the heat on I'm sure and freezing your bollocks off and I'm sitting fr- I could not it, but it's were just, you downstairs you know, or upstairs I, I moved upstairs into my bed yeah and, but I just can't it's whatever is going on with like my medication and my kidneys apparently it's really co- it's actually not my kidneys it's the iron so it's to do with the fact that I'm so anemic that I can't stay can't warm the into That's what, I've just discovered that the only place I can actually write and type is that ball chair it's the only place I can actually do because when I come in here do you get distracted? I just want to lie down so I do it in my ball chair now I'm like Colin, whenever Colin comes in he knows I'm actually writing because I'm sitting in the ball chair and I'm like, I, I do it at my kitchen table because that's where I like feel like it I'm makes at you work feel like you have to do it yeah so I do like I know this week we were trying but like this week I was like I'm going to go downstairs I have a setup, but I can't do anything in a dirty house oh same so I get up with Graham and Lily same I clean the house and then I sit down to yeah. write like yesterday I was writing and I kept finding stuff that I was like oh, I have to do that yeah, yeah. oh I have to do that sure when you I were over do today and you were yeah. writing and you just watched me make dinner just for three hours and that or clean or hoover yeah. that's all that's it's the distractions you yeah. will find but I don't feel so bad because I was listening to an episode of a maintenance phase and Michael Hobbs was saying he does the exact same thing and he's an actual journalist Oh, so he, he gets like, distracted? Yeah, he's like, I, if, I, if I'm in a headspace where I'm like, I don't want to do this, he was like, I will find it. Anything. I was like that last night when I was trying to finish the story because yeah. I was like really distracted because I was a little bit stressed. And then I was like, trying my, I was like, right, come on, come on, come on. Come on. And then Lily came, Lily was like, I can't sleep. And you know me, when Lily can't sleep, I'm like, okay, go home, like think about this. I was like, do you want to come do in and get, do you want to come in for a cuddle? And she lay in bed with me for like 20 minutes and then she was like, right, I'll go into my own bed. And I was like, you don't no, have, no, to. have to. <laughs> it's like when Marge in The Simpsons was uh, was lonely and needed love yeah. and then she just pinched Maggie to wake her up. Yeah. Maggie was like, yeah, and she was like, oh, Maggie. That's what you will find. I will find anything, anything. to distract myself. Like anything. The other day I was, uh, I was trying to do this and I was like, I have to clean my shower. Just got up and cleaned my shower for like half an hour deep clean my shower because like I do not want to read about a woman being raped right yeah. now I think if the content was a little bit different I wouldn't be as if it was like because when I do stuff for the Patreon or for the Patreon when I'm typing stuff I actually when it's because I'm not talking about murder a lot yeah. of the time I'm fine when but, I do the live show stuff because I always get to do the fun stuff yeah I find um, 
a little less distracting. Like the Shergar episode and the... Yeah. I find them easier to like, oh, these are hilarious. Yeah. Because there's no point of reading or researching this that I'm... I, I enjoy getting it done, but I don't enjoy reading about it. There's no part enjoyment in my life of reading about a 17-year-old girl being raped and murdered. The bit I write the fastest is the last page. Is that usually about the trial? Yes. That's the bit where I'm like, uh, right, I'm I'm on a roll. Because one, when you're writing the trial, it is super linear. Like It is. There's like bang, 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 this happened, that's happened. Whereas when you're putting the story of what happened together you're taking nine nine times out of ten you're taking it from the trial (coughs) as in like the evidence that was given and like the timeline of events and all that but you can't like i could just sit here and read a a trial and that would cover all All the facts facts, but you don't want to do that you don't want to do that but also it doesn't give you like a feeling for who the person was literally when we started that was the one thing in my head i was like i want to talk about the person yeah i don't want to sit here and do two hours talking about the person that murdered them Mm. like i will talk about the person that did it because obviously you have to it's part of it but like even the one that i did last night i didn't focus on him like i was focused on the poor girls that this happened to and as i said to you before it's the reason i don't put their pictures on the instagram page yeah i don't want to see them no i want to know about them rot like but I, I do understand the, the other side of true crime where people talk about the people who commit these crimes. Because unfortunately, the human mind works a certain way and we are fascinated by darkness. And yeah. it is what it is, but I don't, I, I just never, I never wanted to do that. And I think we've done quite well. Do you want that what Lego you- thing? <gasps> yes yeah I just have to there's stuff in it I have to take sorry, out sorry Emma's trying to give me all you don't have to take her. any of it but I honestly fucking I, I, I would that feel Lego bad so throwing bad. it away because I'm like I know somebody will use it yeah, I'm, me. I, I bought it never use it my plan was to put it up my wall it's never going to happen so you can actually attach it to a wall yeah but I just have stuff in it so as soon as I get the stuff out I'll give it to you I, I think it. it's so cool yeah you can have it um, I just buying shit that I know I'm never going to use I have to go back <clears> and listen to the Patreon episode we did on the movie because that's Emma's vibrator. It was 35 minutes like of us uh, not talking about the movie we were supposed to review. Oh, fully. <laughs> and as it was happening, I said in my head, we're not talking about the movie. No. <laughs> we talked about the movie two minutes. Yeah. And then the rest was just going on a tangent yeah. about who fucking knows what. Who knows what. But people um, like the movie stuff. Do they? Yes. Um, so in terms of I'm okay I'm just struggling a little bit I'm, I think I'm going to have to go back to therapy in the next couple of weeks that's okay um, because I just think my illness and being sick has kind of <coughs> excuse me made me sad and that's completely understandable sorry Sarah Jane <coughs> um, that's one thing that would make you sad yeah but I think it's like opened up a lot of like feelings of failure that like I actually can't control I know I can't control and I know when you look at me like no but here's the thing about what here's the only thing I will say about this feelings of failure thing it's odd to feel a failure at something your body has done that you can't control yeah this would be different if you were like I went out and I punched the CEO in the face and now I got fired yeah that's vastly different than I have a I have a chronic kidney disease that I have no control over that is fucking with me like you have and I tell you no reason to feel like that yeah but I think you're because you're linking it to your job yeah that's where the problem is coming in because I think if your job wasn't an issue this wouldn't be as bad yeah yeah but I think you're linking and everybody links their successes in life to their career and their job yeah yeah 
but your success is that you have this thing and you're still functioning and you're still looking after your daughter and you're still looking after your husband and you're still doing the podcast and you're still putting food on the table and you're you're still booking a, a beautiful holiday for her you're still doing those things yeah it's just unfortunately your illness has coincided with your stupid job yeah so I think that's where that's coming from yeah I think you're like I don't think I know you're right but it's my I'm not I don't have the ability at the minute yeah. to hear that. Of course. And go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Make your brain feel that way. Yeah. Like, but you will. Yeah. It will come. So it's just, that's kind of where my, I think it will come once everything's finito and yeah. like, I've got, yeah. Once I think, you've crossed the T's and dotted the I's, yeah. I think things will slip a little bit yeah, more yeah. into normality for you. But yeah, I think, and you're not the only person that does that. I think a lot of us, all of us probably, capitalism, we do link our success with, a job like yeah. once you're doing well in your job everything is fine yeah no and I think also like the way my life is set up like my my husband's response to me is like when I'm doing well in my job he he like responds to me in a way where it's like well done you yeah there's like, a there's a a, a gratification a gratification with it. With yeah it. yeah yeah like look at you that's amazing yeah. or like my family will be like oh congratulations on the role or the promotion or mm-hmm. and I know that's normal but like I think that like an awful lot of like my gratification is set up through people telling me like well done when what I am what actually is happening is I'm supporting them I'm putting myself under massive amounts of pressure and stress and taking on more. And that's why they're to telling you how great yeah, you are. To make their lives easier. easier. And I just need to tell you, your job and any job you've ever had is the least interesting thing about you. Yeah. It's the least interesting thing about everybody for me. Like, yeah. I genuinely do not care what people do. Like if I meet somebody and they work in a chip shop and I meet somebody and they're a CEO of a bank, I'm not looking at either of those people going, you're better than that person because of what you do. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's learned behavior because for a long time I would have been like, oh, they have a really good, like, but now I'm like, I literally do not care mm. because it is the least interesting thing about a person. Yeah. It's, and you sh- putting worth in that is normal and everybody does it. We all do it. Yeah, but, and I think, but I think I lost. Like, I think like the pat getting sick has probably made me realize that I put like I put a lot of value into that, like that title. And that happens to a lot of people when they get sick, Sarah Jane. They're like, oh, actually, this doesn't fucking mean. Yeah, shit. but I like, like wish that. So, like, one, I think this week in particular with the podcast, I was like, I, w- I w- want to make that successful. Yeah, I want to do that. I want to make that successful. Yeah. And then I told you about that thing with Lily where she was like when me and you went to the, to yeah, the movie yeah, yeah, and she yeah. was like but that's fun that's not work and yeah. I was like no but you're like you're eight how do you know this yeah I was like <laughs> well, no, no me and Emma do that and people listen and yeah. they give us money to listen I was like so there is a value in that and I was like and you can go to work and have fun and it was just this moment of like oh my god she sees me going to work and moaning about it and coming home and being like and Graham, like because I hear Graham say to her oh mammy just has to do that for work like just leave mammy alone yeah, she's yeah, just yeah. working or if I'm on my phone she like so she know she's recognising the awareness that like my job is like really stressful really busy at times really difficult and at times fully takes all of my attention away from everything it's the only thing that's Um, prevalent in your life at some point yeah anyway mental health check in with you thumbs up I'm doing good I'm okay yeah yeah Uh, you're doing really well I'm actually doing well yeah no I'm doing good I'm 
Nicola's a lifesaver. Every time I like, I missed a week with her, and I was literally like, <laughs> "I'm gonna kill myself, yeah. Colin. I am gonna kill myself." <laughs> so uh, I was back with her yesterday, and I feel much, much better. It's mm. just so nice to speak to her, and she. There's no like, not that anybody judges me, but there's no judgment with her. I never, like, I always joke that I'm like, oh, Nicola hates me, but she never like makes me feel like. I often think to, I often say to her, just roll your eyes at me. Because I know... Emma! Because sometimes she'll, she'll say, did you do that? And I'll be like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, and then in my head, I'm, I said to her one day, why am I paying you? And she start pissing herself laughing. It's like, I'm paying you nearly 100 euro a week for me to do the same things that you told me not to do. <laughs> yeah. So, but she's so nice. And oh, I'm doing okay. I was, I'm going to be honest, I was very lonely in... Over the last month, and I, I've said this so many times, I don't really get lonely, lonely. Says, Thank God, I'm so blessed. Um, I'm not a lonely person. I don't really get lonely. But for the last while, last month, I think it's because I was at home and I was very, I felt very isolated. You were super isolated. Very isolated at home. My mum was sick and I was just watching her kind of deteriorate and that was really upsetting me. And I think all that was kind of getting to me. And all of a sudden, I was so lonely. I was like, oh my God. Like genuinely could not deal with it. Um, but now I'm okay. Good. Loneliness is debilitating. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, when I was working in Amazon, I went up north that time and it was the height of COVID I remember and no this, one could yeah. come at me. Like, after I... Like, remember how hard that was for you. After like three and a half months, I would come home from work. I would watch the worst <laughs> movies <laughs> and I would be like... Yeah, you text people like that. I'd be like, you'd be like, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, she's going through it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm fucking... I watch Shit's Creek, which is not bad. It's great. It's oh, amazing. Oh, so Shit's Creek makes me cry so much. Yeah, and I would be sobbing in bed <laughs> but it is tough yeah and like I'm as I said so fucking lucky man because I know there are people who get very lonely mm. I do. Colin gets lonely you get lonely like Colin gets quite lonely sometimes I get really lonely but then Graham comes home and I'm like oh fucking get the fuck get out. Out. <laughs> like last night the two of them came home and he was like what do you want for dinner and I just went to him do you know what I want for dinner do you, you stop asking me alone you stop asking me what I want for dinner that's what I want for dinner yeah, that's... and he was like I was like I've made dinner every day this week you should write a novel called what do you want for dinner yeah. and it should be about a woman fully losing her mind <laughs> murdering her husband and running away because like honestly book. that question what do you want for dinner what do you want to eat or this thing you're eating breakfast you're eating, you're eating breakfast what we have for dinner I don't I haven't digested and shit this out yet please Graham, leave me alone I know he said it and I would always put Graham rolls over and he goes, uh, he doesn't do it anymore because he <laughs> listens to this podcast. <laughs> Hi, Graham. <laughs> well, he rolls over and he used to go, uh, what's the weather like outside and what you want for dinner? I don't know. I'm in the same place as you. The window is right The down. window is open the window, Not Sarah. Open. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the weather's like outside. I haven't fucking been up yet. Just our bathroom window is completely frosted and the walk to the bathroom window has a curtain just over the, the hall window just open the window so or, I ha- here your phone weather yeah. uh, weather and then you'd be like what's up for dinner and because of how my brain works the idea of like because he said to me today he was like I think I'm just going to make spaghetti bolognese on a Sunday and I'll have that for lunch for the week and I was like you do that by yourself <laughs> <laughs> like I was like I would rather end my life <laughs> Oh, being alive is a nightmare sometimes. I I would rather end my life than eat like bolognese every day. Every day for a week. (laughs) But he's totally chill with that. He's totally fine with that. He's like, that's okay. I'm like, I need to make something. Like, even last night when he was making me dinner, God love him. 
What did he, he say? He said, what you want? Don't, I said. I don't know why he bothers. I'm not going to lie yeah, to you. Yeah, I don't know why he bothers. I don't know why he does it. <laughs> I got lumped. Because honestly, what did he make it? Steak and chips. Well, and nice. fried onion. That's, oh, fried onion. Mm. And then. Uh, was it delicious? It was lovely. It was food. It was fine. <laughs> It had some I gave him some notes Of course <laughs> Sarah's, Sarah's like Why don't you cook for me Yeah I know This is why I don't cook I for know. you I am so intimidated Like I never cooked for Flavio Cause, Is that okay Yeah Because I'm super intimidated By people who can cook well And you cook really well I wouldn't cook for my sister Not in a million years I wouldn't cook for anybody Oh I wouldn't cook for my sister Like when my sister comes down She knows She's cooking I I'm get like, the I'm not making food for you Because you make food really well And I know you're going to taste it And I go mm, this is something. It like, is uh, it's one of the few things that I like greatly commit mm-hmm. to. I follow all the steps. I'm really involved. Yeah. There's no shortcuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but because of that, and because I'm so specific in how I cook and what I eat, I, I know it's, I know, because Graham will go down and leave, like, but it's this, like, I get really frustrated by it because for me, that's how I show you that I love yeah, you. Yeah, you make food for somebody. Yeah. But also, it, if you told me you liked something a certain way, I would only ever do that certain I know. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like with Graham, I get really frustrated because I'm like, but when, if you don't like something or you want something a certain way, you I make it. sure it's done that way. Yeah. But for whatever it is about when you cook for me, <laughs> you can't even butter the corners of the toast. Yeah, no, that, I, I've seen, I watch him cook for you and bring you over the food and I'm like... <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself, Graham? Like, she's going to find something. Yeah. But I get it. I do get it. That's why I don't, like, I would never, I won't cook for you. Flavio, he's exactly like you. Like, he had, there was a way to do it. Yeah. And if I even deviate from that, and then I'd be like, I'm not, I always say to him, I said to him, I'm not going to fight with you, so I'm going to go to sit him. Yeah. Graham don't like And then he'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be like that, but I'm like, but you are like that, and that's fine. Yeah. Like, that's how you are. It's Graham totally doesn't good. like, even when we're in the kitchen, he's the sous chef, and I'm giving him direction. But yeah. like, the problem is, is that even when he's not the sous chef and he's cooking, <laughs> I'm like, eh, What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Why did you put all the veggies? Why would you do that? Like, why would you do that? Like, and he's like, I was like, I'm trying my best. <laughs> like, last night I said to him, don't put the garlic in it's until like an the end. Of the bear in Cedarbrook. <laughs> Honest to God, like, it's so bad. Like, it's, I get stressed for him when he's cooking for you. And my anxiety is like, because I see you and you'd be like, what did you put in there? Yeah. And if you move, and babe, what are you doing? And they call him babe once and then that's gone. Yeah. That's gone. The babe, there's one babe and then there's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, um, yeah, like last night he was cooking steak and he was like, do you want uh, garlic with it? And I was like, yeah. And I, I, I had to say to him, hey, don't, don't put the garlic in until the end. Because he'll burn it. And he was like, oh, uh, oh, it's, it's already in. I was like, yeah, it'll be bitter. Like, cause it'd be burnt. But yeah, no, God love him. Last night he gave me steak and I was like, so... And the other thing is when he is cooking, because I know he's so hypervigilant, I think he fucks it up even more. That's the thing. It's the panic kicks in. And, and then I feel exactly terrible what, because I'm like... me. I know if I... But if I say that to him, he's like, no. Like, so I actually don't think Graham is hypervigilant. I will be. Yeah. Like, I'll put a pizza in the oven for you. Not a bother. <laughs> I'll order you food. I'll ring him Chinese and I'll say, bring that. I won't cook for you. I won't cook for you. I won't cook for Yvonne. I won't cook for Flavia. Yeah, no, I know. And even cooking for my mom, when I was cooking for her, she was you. Oh, really? Like she, I'm like, mom. I, I what? She said to me, I was making. I put butter. She likes Goodfellow, Goodfellas pizza, so I put the pizza in the oven for her. And she went to me, uh, yeah. When you're cooking that now, just make sure the cheese is melted. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's how. What I was going to give this to you raw, Kathleen. Like yeah. everything. And I'm like, do you want a cup of tea? Yeah, leave the tea bag in now and uh, make sure two sugars and just mix it properly. Okay. 
Okay, I know. Like I, I know. was at the I was at the end of my tether. Like, but yeah, we're okay. Kind we're of, sort of. We're getting we're there. Sorta. Do you have any I housekeeping think... for me? Housekeeping. Yeah. Do you have any housekeeping? Thank you to everybody that has bought tickets for the live show. We appreciate it so oh, fucking Jesus. much. Um, you guys are the best. Also, this Saturday we are going to be on. Well, I'm going to be because Sarah and Colin have previous engagements so they can't make it i'm going to be on phoenix fm at 10 past 10 in the morning talking about the podcast and our live show a lovely girl called leslie contacted me uh, i don't know why don't know how she found you're us. going to do great i'm going to listen to you while i'm Excuse at my me. appointment i'm um, so sad that i can't do i know it it's you. shit but it'll be 10 minutes like um so we're going to do that phoenix fm 10 past 10 on saturday morning if you want to listen do if you don't don't colin is looking into us doing potentially more live shows this year um, but obviously we'll tell you guys when that's going to be happening um, but yeah that's all my housekeeping <laughs> trigger, trigger warning I apologise coming February 28th to Liberty Hall Dublin Aitkin Promotion presents a true crime podcasting experience like no other it's Murder Most Irish Live <laughs> join Emma Sarah Jane and Colin for a show that's crude. That's the strangest thing you've ever eaten. She's like, my ma's shit. Yeah. Lewd. Wax or shave. Shave. Hold on. Oh. Your arsehole. Rude. That's my son. That's my son and that's he didn't know you were a And quite possibly nude. You're plowing those fields, baby, and I'm driving the Rolls Royce. Like, that's what's happening. And then you're playing me a night notice. Murder Most Irish live at Liberty Hall. Tickets available from Ticketmaster.ie. Good night, everybody. So, Sarah, it's Sarah's turn. Hey. Sarah's going to do a lovely case for us. Well, it's not lovely. It's not lovely. It's not lovely. I'm going to talk about uh, Siobhan Hines. Um, and my references are the independent T.G. Cahar's documentary Chuck Namaher. Chuck Namaher. There's a this is there is a massive amount of Irish in it. Oh, and okay. Because I can't speak Irish. Yeah. I wrote it out. <laughs> okay. The way I oh phonetically. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I wrote I wrote it all out phonetically. I love it. Um, the independent Men's Ray episode 124. Um, the Irish Times, The Sun. I put all the links here, but mainly the Independent and mainly the Irish Times and that documentary, which was really sad. It was like her also, shout out to Sinead because she's great, and Men's Ray is a fucking phenomenal podcast. She's phenomenal. So thank you so much to Sinead, and honestly, like Sinead helps so much when I'm doing research because even I love she puts all the articles. I use the British Archives uk, which is like all the newspaper articles. You pay for it, but you have to get all you get all. But she got me onto that. So now I'm able to find. I'm not on town. British British archives. I can find newspaper articles from like 1970 that you can scroll and read through. So thank you so much, Shishinay. She's amazing. We love men's rare. Anyway, okay. that's all I wanted to say. So, Shaharua or Carrow is a beautiful part of Ireland. It is located outside of Galway on the west coast of Ireland in Connemara, and it has strong links to traditional Irish heritage and the Gael talk. And in 1998, although in close proximity proximity to Galway City, it was rural and isolated. It also offered a certain level of safety and community that so many rural towns offer. This idea of knowing your neighbour and not locking your door. And Siobhan and her family had lived in Lettermore, a very small community of about 500 people. 
Siobhan's mum, Breed, described how close-knit the community was at that time. She said, if one person person in the community was suffering, everyone in the community was suffering. And I mean, I know that from your mum's area. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody's business. They open your business. Yeah. They just walk in without knocking all the time. Hello? Hello? Get the fuck out. Get out of me, Get gaff. the fuck out of my house. I could be naked. I'm not, I'm never. I would be. But one morning, I was wearing a pair of underwear and a t-shirt. Which is how you sleep. And, uh... I locked the door, thankfully, and one of the neighbours knocked, and I was like, Why don't they use the front door? You don't use the front door in the country. Why? If you use the front door in the country, something's wrong. If someone comes to your front door in the country, it's the guards, it's Jehovah Witness, (laughs) somebody you don't know, like nobody uses the front door, you go to the back door. Why? I don't know, and it is very much a country thing. Anybody from the country will, will say the same. Like, if someone knocks on our front door, we're like, it's immediate what the fuck is happening. No, it's, it's seen as like the formal door that you go to. Whereas the back door is seen as like, I know you. The formal door that you go it's to. It's like, that's the front door. That's where people who don't know you go. That's where like someone's, it's like a counsellor that's like doing their little thing. Or like Christmas day evening, I got a knock on the front door. And I was like, who? Who was the it? Jehovah Witnesses. On Christmas day? Christmas day afternoon. They don't start Christmas knocked on the door and I was like hello and they were like uh, we just want to give you these leaflets and I was like okay but I knew immediately it wasn't somebody I knew okay yeah alright up the country Siobhan was a shy retiring girl who was well liked in school she was quiet and sweet and her mum and da- dad talked of how gentle and sweet she was as a young girl her mother Breed recalls an incident during Siobhan's childhood when a mouse entered the family kitchen Breed said she would get the cat but Siobhan told the mother that she'd looked in the mouse's eyes and he was scared and they shooed him out of the house instead. Now I'm telling you now, Siobhan had a bigger heart than me because that mouse would be dead. (laughs) Dead. Dead. The cat would be in. There wouldn't have even been a second thought about it. Lucille would have had that mouse gone. If I had a cat. Dead. Dead. Imagine him trying to kill a mouse. That stupid thing you have. That's not a cat. That's not, I don't even know what that is. As she grew into a teenager, Siobhan grew in confidence. She had a strong circle of friends and she was funny and caring. She spent her weekends hanging with her friends, listening to music, going to pubs in the closest village and being an Irish teenager in 1998. Her friend group revolved around music and being a teenager myself at that time with a deep love of music, I know exactly what that feeling of driving around in your friend's cars, listening to your favourite band or picking up your newest CD from the local shop. She was a beautiful singer and she was very popular and liked and skilled. She was a member of the choir and she had just turned 17 in December of 1998, like a couple of weeks before. She was a baba. The area of Lettermore, although tiny in terms of permanent population figures, is flooded in the summer with students attending the Gale Talk and tourists visiting the scenic coasts in and around the area. There would have been an abundance of people and things to do in the summer in some with some businesses and restaurants like pubs, some of them being seasonal, but in the summer, everything was open. Yeah. However, in the long, dark winter months with no students in the area, there was very little for local teenagers to do other than hang out in each other's houses or in their cars. Yeah. And I know even in Dublin, like when I was a teenager... Was that like very much... In the winter? Yeah, like we'd just like go to each other's house. We'd go to... That's like what I We'd did. be in someone's car. Yeah like there's no, literally nothing there's else. nothing to do like well, especially where I live like I would just go to my friend Susan's house yeah and we'd be talking about boys we'd like no I wouldn't do that we'd say oh I like this boy I'd go to a friend's house and I'd be like have you got micro machines on PlayStation <laughs> 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 uh, 
That's... Micro machines are nothing. I'm leaving. <laughs> if you don't, I'm going home. <laughs> Spending time driving around the roads of the local area, listening to music or parking up and meeting up with friends. In Ireland, we have a really strong culture of underage drinking and we still do. And I know from my teenage days, I started going to pubs at the age of 15 onwards. Did you start going to pubs at that no. age? I wasn't, I hated alcohol. I, I didn't drink. No, like, I didn't go to pubs. I now. would go with my friends. I think I didn't start going until I was like 18. Just on the cusp of 18. I, I went with my going. mom and dad. Isn't that really weird? But, look, I remember going with my family on occasions, like if it was a communion or a confirmation. No, like I would or, go to that, the no. Red Cow on like a Tuesday night with my mom and dad and there was like a blues night on. So what would you do? I would just sit with my mom and dad listen to the music. Would they buy you a magazine? No, I'd be there. <laughs> That's Colin's entire childhood. <laughs> they buy a magazine. Sitting in the, in the pub and Bally Matt and his mom be like, give me a euro, give me a pound. Uh, and he'd go and buy uh, a magazine. No, my parents never like brought me to the pub when I was little because my dad's a musician. So all of his job so there, was to yeah, pub. That's the pub. Yeah, that's a pub, yeah. But when I got like became a teenager, like 14, 15, I used to go on a Tuesday night with my mom and dad to the Jensen pub in Clondalkin. The Jensen? That sounds Which fancy. was a hotel. It's fucking not no. fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Up the jets. Uh, the nightclub in the back used to be called the Blue Banana. The Blue Banana. Yeah, and I think I got closed down because someone got Who? stabbed in it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Why would you call it a nightclub? And everybody was out on the Baloobas. Oh, on the Baloobas. Yeah, they were all over themselves. On the yokes. Um, but yeah, I started going to the pub with like my friends. I would go to like the eight ball gigs. I would go to Hanlon's Corner. <sighs> eight ball, Hanlon's Corner was like, no, that was like, that's where you went for underage people. Yeah. Um, I lived in Cabra. Is that Handlin's Corner? There, it's, there was another hole. But ah, yeah, it's, okay. Yeah, and then like Handel's behind Christ Church. Like there was plenty of pubs in Dublin that like they served to a younger audience. Or they'd have like bands on. Yeah. So like you'd a, go see like local, local punk bands. bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> so it has a pretty strong culture of underage drinking. And I know from my teenage days, I started going to the pub from the age of 50 and onwards. There was a crackdown in the 90s and legislation was wrapped up in the mid-90s to really stick to the rules um, and stop underage patrons of bars. Some bars really did stick to the rules, but others, like, that was their main patronage. And young, was would be, like, young adults and teenagers. Like in Ballymahan, we went to a bar that was literally serving children. Like, he was serving 12 and 13 girls. Yeah, yeah. We all knew it. I won't say the name, but he's now a medium. Oh, God. So shout out. Big shout out. I'm sure he could sense that we were going <laughs> to talk we about it. He knew we were going to talk about this. Uh, this was no different for Siobhan Chav- and she usually went out most weekends on a Saturday on a Saturday night. She usually went to her local and then grabbed a lift with mates to the nearest town to go dancing in the local disco. I don't think people realise how our drinking laws in particular, drink driving laws, were pretty lax in Very the nice. like, 90s. Um, but if you live in like rural Ireland, you're drinking and driving. Uh, they're still drinking and yeah. driving, my dude. In 1998, you're drinking and driving. Like people, like it's like when they brought in the laws and people, those people in Kerry were like, "I don't think it should happen There's in Kerry." In Kerry, that are like, <laughs> Kerry deserves happen. better. <laughs> uh, December fifth, 1995, Siobhan decided to go out. Uh, Breeds dropped Siobhan and her sister Anya to the local pub near their home, okay. and Breeds' last words to her girls that night were, "Be careful." And after some drinks and chats with their friends, they all decided to head to Carrow to like the local, like so Carrow is a little bit out from uh, Lettermore and Carrow's like got the like hotel, it's got a disco, it's got like a chipper. I use the word chipper, what I mean by that is takeaway. 
Oh, so it's just got a little like kind of area where everything it's got, is. Like it's where if you're a tourist and you're like heading to, you would just go you'd to stop this there. area. Okay, you'd stop there, and um, if you're in the Gale Talk, more than likely, you know, when you go to Gale Talk on a Saturday, you go down, you'd go to Caro. They all decided to head to Caro to a nightclub. Um, Siobhan was a little hesitant about going. She was like, "I'm not really sure. I don't really know if I want to go." Aww. She said she was not too pushed, and her sis. She said she was not too pushed to her sister Anya and she was not certain that she would get in. But then a friend decided he would drive and she was persuaded to head to the group. She did not intend to go in the di- into the disco. She just decided to go for the drive. Oh, so she was going to go home? No, she was just like, I'll go for the drive and I'll hang out in the car. Oh, bless her. Um, when they got to the town, Siobhan decided she would not be, she'd not go into the nightclub, but her sister Anya left the car and headed into the nightclub with like two other members of the car. So the guy who owned the car. Okay. Um, her sister and another like party member. All went in. They all got out. But she stayed in the car. Yeah. A member of the party, member of the party headed to the nightclub. Siobhan and her friend Paul stayed in the car and they decided to hang out for a bit they chatted and listened to music, but a little while later, Paul noticed a big blonde man who kept looking in the car and kind of glaring at them. At around 12.50am, Siobhan told Paul that she needed to go to the toilet and she headed to the nightclub, which was in a, in the hotel, to use the facilities. But the bouncer on the door also happened to be the school bus driver. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> so... Um, you're wrecking this place I'm done now okay so he happened to be the school bus driver so he knew Siobhan and knew she was underage and he wouldn't let her in Um, she headed back to the car and told Paul she couldn't get in but she also said that she seen that weirdo John McDonough and his name yeah yeah it's a really small town I suppose I thought maybe this was like a stranger no she said I seen that weirdo John McDonough and she had tried her best to ignore him and I think he'd said like how are you Siobhan kind of thing Um, she exited the car again so she got back in and then was like no I can't hold this like I need to go to the toilet so she exited the car again and said she was going to head up the road to go to the local chipper takeaway and use their toilet she headed up the town to the chipper slash takeaway which was about one kilometre up the road. So that's like a kind of... That's a good jaunt. Like It's not that far. It's half a it's, mile. It's not like oh, no, two minutes. No, no, no. But she never came back to the car. Paul got worried after a little while and he began to search the village for any sign of Siobhan. He found nothing and none of the staff in the takeaway had seen her. Um, and by the time the driver came back to the car, Paul had searched high and low for Siobhan, but he had not seen her and not been able to locate her. He couldn't understand why she'd not returned, but they they all assumed she had taken a lift from someone else in the village and gone home. And Siobhan's sister assumed the same. Siobhan's sister doesn't appear to have like come out with everybody in the in the car. She appears to have like gone home a different way. Okay. So she got home at like about half two in the morning. Siobhan's sister. Yeah, Anya. And she left the door of their home unlocked, thinking her sister um, would come in later which again wouldn't be unusual like okay. it would be quite often like quite regular for two of them to head out together and then Siobhan stay out later they or take, her and stay they get out different later, ways home get different ways home but you know yourself like yeah, I know myself from like 
I when I was younger, you'd go out with friends. You'd be like, like, I'm done. I'm, I'm going done. home. It's an Irish goodbye. Yeah, you're like, and I'm I, I think people who aren't from Ireland would be listening to this and think like, what, what are you that's doing? A bit mental. Like, why didn't they start looking oh, for a panic? We always this do that before mobile phones. Yeah, and first and foremost, you kind of trusted people more. You were like, I know that she's, they're going to get home. Like, I remember being out with Leslie, and she was literally walking up the road in front of me, and I just got into a taxi without telling her. <laughs> And was like, I'm done with this. Goodbye. Yeah, no, there was nights I'd be out, but like, I'm off. I'm going home. Yeah, get your own way home. Like, oh, I to- like, I totally understand this. Like, um, so she left the door open, unlocked, thinking her sister would come in later, and that it wouldn't be unusual. Unusual, but she was unaware that no one had seen Siobhan. so she didn't know that like no one had seen her. Okay, she didn't know that anybody had been looking for her. Okay, she just assumed that she went home. She by went her. home. Yeah. Anya went to bed and it was not until the next morning when Breed realised her daughter had not come home. This was completely out of character and Siobhan would have rang the house if she was staying out. So she would stay out. It's not uncommon. But she'd let them know. Yeah, and she didn't have a boyfriend or anything. I think one of the scariest scenarios or ideas is going into your child's room and And realising they're not there. Like, I can't imagine that panic. I know this awful story of like this kid who used to live up the road from us and um, his mum had grounded him and like he was up in his room and the next morning she got a knock on the door and it was the guards and he had been killed and she was like sorry no my son is upstairs in his room and he'd gotten out the the window." window yeah oh my god Anya and Siobhan's two sisters headed to town to try find Siobhan or not Anya, Andy, sorry. It, her dad's name is Andy Hines, but it's spelt the Irish way. Okay. This family all speak fluent They're Irish. And they Irish all speakers. speak, they all live in a town that speaks like this entire town. Fluent Irish. Speaks Irish. They don't speak English. So when this did go to court, it was all in Irish. They all got, they all got up in, in court. And speak in Irish. And spoke in Irish. Wow. Yeah. And all those fucking idiots. We're like, huh? <laughs> anyway. Andy and Siobhan's two sisters headed to the town to try find Siobhan. Breed, Breed stayed back awaiting the arrival of Garda Pat O'Connor. So she immediately rang the police station and was like, something's wrong. And um, Garda Pat O'Connor headed to the house and she waited for him while Andy and Siobhan, uh, Andy and Siobhan's two sisters headed to the town. Siobhan's friend, hearing that Siobhan had not come home, they all got a taxi into town and met Andy and they all began searching for her. Sunset on that day would have been about 4pm and that... And 4pm that day, one of the friends went off to get flashlights so they could all stay out. Andy was convinced a girl he saw in the village was Siobhan and sent one of his daughters over to be like, get your sister. The whole village is out looking for her. Right. But as the girl turned her head, he realised he was mistaken. Racked with fear, he continued to search for his daughter. At 3.20pm on December 6th, 1998, on the beach of Tishmon, Siobhan was found lying on the beach two miles south of where she was last seen. A local farmer called Tommy Kelly was out hunting with his two dogs when one of his dogs caught a scent and ran ahead. He followed up to the rocky and rugged beachfront when he came upon a girl lying on the beach he called to her. The tide was out but it was just about to turn and as he got closer he called once more. He saw she was bleeding from her nose and her mouth and she lay in between rocks on the shore. She kind of was like wedged a little bit so like one of her feet was wedged and her head was kind of wedged in between a rock. So he soon realised she was dead. 
In a panic, he ran back to the town to inform the Garda. And within minutes of him arriving in the town, the news spread through the town. Of course it everybody's did. out looking, looking for this for girl. Anyway. And this town is tiny. Like you're talking, this strip is probably two kilometres long. Like everybody knows everybody in these tiny villages. Also, can I just say, to all the farmers in this country that have found bodies, that have found bodies, because the next case the next week that I'm doing, this, a farmer. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Her friends and family in the town looking for Siobhan began to hear that a body had been found on the beach. Fuck's sake, dude. Andy was driving around the village when his his sister-in-law and the parish priest found him and gave him the awful news of a body being found on the beach. He immediately went to the beach hoping it was not his daughter, but deep down knowing the probability. He arrived when he saw his daughter lying amongst, amongst the rocks. He confirmed it was his daughter, Siobhan Hines. The priest that had waved him down travelled to the home to inform, to inform Breed. The Gardaí cordoned off the area and they immediately opened up a murder investigation. Siobhan had marks on her neck, arms and face. Her pants were open and her jacket was off and found on the beach. Her shoes were undone but on her feet. Her bra was on her but pulled up to like expose her breasts but her clo- she was dressed. Um, this suggested that she had been sexually assaulted. Due to her location and the fact that the tide was turning, she was moved and it was thought that this led to evidence being potentially removed, damaged or lost. But the alternative was very much that the seawater would have eroded a lot to. more. Yeah, so there was no option. If that farmer didn't find her body when he found her, she would have been dragged out to sea. A thousand percent she would have been dragged out to sea. And there is part of me that hopes whoever thinks whoever did this was hoping that that could potentially happen, that they could she could be just left to the elements. Yeah. So let's go back to the night before and let's talk about John McDonough. The man Siobhan had said was acting weird when she got back to the car the first time. John had been in and around the town for the evening and he had a reputation as being an agitated, angry, argumentative, aggressive individual. A prick. Yeah. And was known to the guard in the area. The night before he had been... So the night of the the night that everybody's out, he's in the town. So the night before Siobhan had been found, he had been in multiple arguments and physical altercations in and around the town. He had recently broken up with his girlfriend, uh, Morbury Shoiga, but she's known, like, I think it's like Anglo-Saxonized. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Into Joyce, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. But her, how she, her name is Morbury Shoiga. They had a five-year-old daughter and they had ended their relationship a number of months before, but it had been turbulent and not amicable. And he was a piece of shit to her when they were together. Like a piece of shit. He was abusive. He was violent. He was horrid when they were together. And they had a kid. And they had a five-year-old. She was out in one of the local pubs with her new partner when they noticed John was like staring at them. In one oh, of pubs. course he was. Rather than start a fight, she decided it would be best if they snuck out the side door of the pub without anybody seeing to avoid trouble and head somewhere else. So that's Smart what lady. she and her partner did. They went up the, the road to the local hotel and queued to get into the disco. So that's where all of the kids have gone as well. But as they were in the queue, John appeared behind them and started shouting at them. Now, the timeline of this is important. So that's around kind of the same time that the kids show up to go. Okay. 
So this all kicks off about 10 to 1. In the morning? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like we just... I'm so old. That's so late to me. Um, (laughs) That's bedtime. (laughs) So, um, and that's the same time that, like if I go back to the timeline at about 12.50, she gets out of the car. She gets out of the car. And she says she's seen him and he was acting weird. So, John appeared behind them and started shouting. A fight began. And when, when, um, what did I say the lady's name was? Uh, Joyce is the Anglo. Yeah. Yeah. When Joyce got into, she like this, so there was like a physical altercation between her new boyfriend and her old boyfriend. She got in between them. She couldn't separate it. She got into the hotel and rang the guard. Oh, fair play. Okay. So a fight began. And when she got into the hotel, she rang the guard. Three guard arrived and they found McDonough in an agitated state. He was warned and told he would be arrested if he kept it up. He left the hotel and sat on a wall across the road from the hotel. Just angrily staring yeah. at it like a fucking weirdo. The same hotel Siobhan would literally around the same time try to get into to go to the toilet. So it's the same. The hotel is the nightclub. So all of this is happening like very close to it's each other. It's at happening at yeah. in around the same time. Around 30 minutes later... The guardie saw him again in his red Ford Mondeo driving around the town. But then he pulled into like a little recess and sat there. And about 30 minutes after that, they saw him once again sitting on the stone wall across from the hotel. And they went over to him and told him to go home. But he said it's a free fucking country and refused to go home. The guardie, apparently not having any power to do anything for no reason at all, decided to head out to uh, John's family home to try find his parents. What? To get them to deal with the situation, to get him to like put him in a squad car and bring him home. To see if they could talk some sense into him and get him to go home. Sense? He was fighting with someone outside a nightclub. Put him in a squad car and bring him home. When they arrived at the home, there was no answer. They returned back to the hotel at around 1.10am, but McDonough was gone and they could not find him. He was then seen again at 2.10am as he was involved in another fight outside a takeaway and he had changed his clothes. So when he was first seen in the town, he was wearing like, like, Tracksuit Tracks bottoms, bottoms and a white jumper, okay. like a V-neck jumper. And when he was seen again, he was wearing black bottoms and a black t-shirt. So he was then seen again at 2.10 a.m. as he was involved in another fight, which is now outside the takeaway that Siobhan had gone to earlier and mm-hmm. not returned from. Um, and he was then seen, seen driving from his village, from the village to his house in and around kind of like, 2.45 a.m. Okay. So he kind of arrives home around 3 a.m. After speaking to Siobhan's friends, uh, the only person knowing to be considered a suspect immediately becomes John McDonough. So like the next day when her body is found, the guards involved in like finding her body are also the same guards that were out the night before. They've been out the night before, yeah. So John has a reputation He's in and around the area where she is. He's been acting weird as fuck. He's been acting weird as fuck. And then Paul, the guy in the car, says she said she's seen John McDonough and he was, and being, he was weird. being weird. And she, he also said, and then there was this guy that like kept coming up to the car and like glaring in. 
and uh, kind of that guy kind of matches the description. description. But he didn't say it was John McDonough. He just gave a description. Yeah, he just said this is the dude that was being yeah. weird. Yeah. The deputy state, the deputy state pathologist, and I just this is very graphic. Dr. Mary Cassidy arrived and began to sum- surmised that there was a strong possibility that Siobhan was unconscious when she came in contact with the water, but that she wasn't dead. But oh. she could not exclude the possibility that she was conscious. She was also not able to conclude whether the fracture to a bone of the larynx was intentional or not. But she said it was like highly unlikely that someone like falling over would like hurt that area. Because when you think about how you fall, you kind of crumple over. She put the cause of death as drowning and as a contributory case compression of the neck. Cause, not case. There was also evidence to support that Siobhan had been raped. Okay. Um, She had sustained severe injuries to her vagina including the mutilation of its lining oh dr mary cassidy also noted an attempted penetration of the anus and bruising of the breasts what the fuck dr cassidy was not asked to offer an opinion on what object had been used to penetrate the rape and no object was found to follow up the searches there was no evidence of penile penetration to sustain a separate rape account. Um, so she was raped, but like essentially not by a penis. There was no semen. There was no... I'm pretty sure it was an object. Yeah. She was raped with like an object. That is... It's really unusual. It's really it's bizarre. incredibly violent. Yeah. Um... And she had damage to her, like, pelvis area. 17 years old. She's 17 years old. Dumped on the beach. She had um, bruising and scratches on her stomach were, that were consistent with her having been dressed after the fact. And she had, like, grass and stones inside of her body. So the assault didn't happen on the beach. She had, like, vegetation. So she was brought to the beach. It ha- the assault happened somewhere else. Um, she had no underpan- underwear on when she was found she was missing her coat this is horrific um, and she was missing um, a necklace and a watch two days after her body was found her underwear and a necklace with a half a heart belonging to Siobhan were found in a remote laneway that led onto the beach it is thought that this is where the attack took place and she was then moved to the beach and her body was left so the tide may have been in. Yeah. December the 11th, Siobhan's funeral is held. And at the <clears> same <throat> time, the Garda and the aquatic unit is out in force off the coastline of the beach, looking for any evidence of the weapon that was used to cause such harm to poor Siobhan's body. Thanking all of those who had supported Siobhan's parents and sisters in their grief, Mr. O'Faherta, I'm no good Irish. Where is it? Fatharta. Fatharta. Thank you. Praise the Gardaí. Speaking in Irish, he stressed that it was vital that young girls in the area would be able to safely go out at night and he urged anyone with information, no matter how insignificant, to contact the Gardaí. Look at this man not victim shaman. I know. Incredible. In the early 90s? Yeah. The church was packed for the funeral mass and hundreds of mourners also gathered silently outside, listening to the service on the public address. 
A massive array of flowers adorned the altar. Many of Siobhan's friends and classmates wept during the funeral mass. These are also kids that are like just about to do their leave insert. Like it's leave insert. So school had like, they stopped the school for like two weeks. Of course they did. And it's a tiny community, like 500 people. That's the thing, there's nobody, like it's so small. Some had to leave the church in distress and were comforted by their parents and teachers. (sighs) School friends from the skull come a shock Kiarhan in Carraro provided the music and read the less read the lessons and prayers along with Siobhan's two sisters Anya and Fiona. The funeral service concluded with a congregation 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 she got it thank you applauding when they were asked to show their appreciation for Siobhan's Siobhan's 17 lovely years I think that's lovely that's amazing Cause like I don't. What a lovely thing! Yeah, to do. like everybody got up and applauded. That's I've never seen that. No, I've seen that. Like you know, like famous people's funerals. Yeah, but like to do what a wonderful to be like we're going to applaud who she was and what she brought to the world mm. for seventeen years. Speaking at the conclusion of an emotion-packed funeral mass at Lettermore Church, Siobhan's uncle, journalist Kieran Off. Yeah, Kieran spoke of the importance of finding the person who was responsible for causing so much heartbreak. Monday, December 14th, a wristwatch was discovered close to where her body was found in Tishmore. About two miles from the Carrow village, the find was made by Gardy, who have been combing the narrow laneway and boring le- boring road leading to the beach. Yesterday, Siobhan's grief strip... Sorry, I wrote this um, okay. from like a thing. So on the same day, her grief-stricken parents identified the watch as belonging to their 17-year-old daughter. The watch had stopped at 4.30 a.m. Okay. And a Garda spokesman said that the find was significant. So the thought process is that like that's when she went into the water. Okay. Which makes perfect sense, yeah. This is believed to time that this is believed to be the time that her body came into contact with water. Last so Siobhan's silver chain and locket were found on the Boreen, a good distance away from her body. Her fleece jacket was found on the beach, and all indications now are that Siobhan knew her killer and was taken to her death probably by car. There was also mounting belief that she struggled for some time over the distance so that she like continued to fight the person off. Mm-hmm. With her estate with the individual before becoming overpowered. Okay. A senior guard spokesperson said had that there had been a good response from the community to their inquiries. The one thing I did find really interesting compared to like Dublin crimes is everybody came forward. Like they were able to piece everything yeah, together. Nobody was hiding anything. Nobody Nobody was afraid of retribution. Nobody. Everybody was like we need to go speak to the guards. Yeah, but because I think obviously within this community there wasn't the fear of like gangland criminality yeah. and somebody going, I'm, if you say anything, I'm going to kill you. That yeah. just didn't exist in that community. So, but it was vital to fill in the gap between when she was last seen and the 3.20pm when her body was found. The spokesperson said, our latest sighting is, our last sighting is at about 12.45am early on Sunday morning, but we are appealing to anyone who may have seen Siobhan after the contact after that contact to to after that to contact us in confidence garda approached mcdonough and asked him to give a blood sample and the clothes he was wearing on the night the murder took place he gave a blood sample but he, and he gave a white tracksuit top but this was significantly different from the cctv footage and not the same item of clo- clothing 
people said they saw him wearing on the day and on that night. He was seen to be wearing a white top, a jumper with a large deep v-neck. Not a tracksuit top, which is what he gave. He gave like a white Adidas tracksuit top with blue stripes. Right. December 14th, John McDonough's house was raided um, and they took evidence. They arrested John and they found the jumper they were looking for and they impounded his car as evidence. He was questioned for 12 hours and he was released without charge. There was a call for anyone to come forward again and if anyone saw Siobhan getting into a car or the car and parts of the car were removed and sent to Dublin for forensics evidence gathering. Okay. Her family called out publicly and they also gave an interview saying it would ease their pain if her murderer was caught. Their home at the time was littered with sympathy cards and their daughter's 17th birthday cards because they gave like a oh, like an interview on like a TV. January 13th, 1999, McDonough was arrested again, this time along with his mother, Maggie. Maggie told John to stay quiet and he would stand by her Uh, son. Ah, that's my son. She spent most of her time singing in her cell and she admitted she washed the jumper the the night. He's starting to make a bit of sense now. Yeah. He was released again 12, hour late, 12 hours later along with his mother but at this time the evidence book was then sent to the DPP to see if they could be brought uh, essentially prosecution could be brought against him. Uh, the two of them? Just him. Just him, sorry. Superintendent Jim Sugrew told the court that uh, told sorry Superintendent Jim Sugrew told the newspapers that when they arrested the so at this time as well because it's a rape yeah nothing like there's no public names in the newspapers they don't they don't give names so that they arrested somebody at 5 45 a.m on june 17th 1999 june dude yeah took ages because there was like a massive backlog as well for the evidence yeah um that when they put the handcuffs on the suspect Mm -hmm. uh, he said put them on i was expecting you well There was a massive backlog of cases waiting to be heard and McDonough was released on bail. This was then revoked in September 2000 when he was found to be soliciting a sex worker. So he then was back in prison and his bail was revoked. The case began on May 9th, 2001 because there was a massive backlog of cases. Fucking many backlog... What? Yeah, to be heard at the High Court. He was charged with murder and unlawful sexual conduct. The nature of the rape allegations meant that the proceedings were closed to the public. The the prosecution case against McDonough was based on a combination of strong fibre evidence in his car, cumulative local evidence of timings and, and sightings, and McDonough's own words and actions after the murder. So, think murder. So, um, he had essentially like lied to tons of people so a number of people got up and gave evidence that were like his friends okay so there was one guy that he met the like next day in a pub and he had like a big bite mark on his arm and the guy was like oh someone must have been hungry last night and he was like oh i got into a scrap with a fella in the at the takeaway and he did that to me but the guy that he got into a fight with in the takeaway actually got up on the stand too and he was like listen i was absolutely ossified drunk i did not bite that man but he was like i actually don't know what happened he was like, I remember there was a fight. I remember got a thump. 
and he was like and then I went home he was like but I don't have any memory of biting anybody yeah then, but then also witnesses were like there was he didn't bite anybody there was just like a, a one punch was thrown and then it and was kind of over yeah. and the feeling is very much that he went back to give himself an alibi because he started a fight with sense. somebody really random that makes sense yeah Um. so that guy got up then a friend of his sorry I need tissue yeah uh, a friend of his got up on the stand and said that he had called him to say did the police speak to you about me and the guy was like no no that's locked oh sorry sir um and he was like did you see Siobhan that night and he said yeah I did see Siobhan that night I spoke to her she could so John said she came up to me and told me that she had a one night stand with like one of my friends yeah that happened and the guy said to him did you tell the police that and he said no I didn't tell the police that I told the police I didn't see her you stupid bitch so then the guy was like you should tell the police and John was like yeah I will but he didn't so he'd kind of tons of different people got up it's then the other thing is he came home to his house at about 2 45 a.m at the exact same time as a neighbor and a neighbor got out of a taxi saw him and two of them had a conversation and the guy was like we spoke for like 15 minutes he seemed really agitated he seemed super like aggressive he told me he had gotten into a fight at the takeaway he told me he'd hit a, hit a fella a few lumps and then he was like i went into my house and that was bang on 3 a.m okay um, so loads of different sort of conversations he just loads of different here. conversations where he lied about where he was and what he was doing and the time he was yeah. there and then obviously he t- never said anything to the guards about seeing didn't tell them anything no. at all Okay. the last person to see Siobhan alive is a worker from the hotel Okay. who heads to the hotel about kind of one-ish to pick up an asthma inhaler for a friend that's waiting up the road she sees Siobhan she's heading to the takeaway where she said she was where going where she said she was going they say hello to each other and they walk but it's just you know everyone in Ireland says hello and her friend who was waiting for the inhaler didn't see Siobhan but she heard a car stop a door open and she said the only thing she did notice about the car is the car indicated to go left in like almost as if it was going to go to the takeaway Mm -hmm. but it it didn't. didn't it went right but she was like, there was no like indication of to like what the car was. What the car was, okay. Um, Breed gets up and gives evidence as well. But the evidence is very much that she dropped her daughter. The same thing that the her brother. Yeah. But she like struggled. She finds it really difficult because the case is a what you call a case in camera. Um, she he manages to have like everybody excluded from the courtroom. Of so he, he manages to have them excluded from the courtroom the only time they get to be in court is when they're given evidence so they can't just be in the court listening to what he's saying okay so nobody's there um her the fibers of her jacket are found in his car fibers of her jacket are found on his clothing yep and pretty much that's the only evidence forensic evidence as such it's it's all fiber evidence so it's found in his car on, on his, his clothes. On his clothes, okay. Um, but there's no DNA evidence. Okay. So um, 
Retired Galway Superintendent Jim Shergo said, I've been involved in 12 murder investigations throughout my service and this was one of the most brutal, horrendous cases I've ever dealt with. He said, a young girl barely out of her childhood was sexually abused with some instrument. Her larynx was fractured and her body is dumped on the rocks for the tide to take her out. I only pray that she was unconscious in her last hours and in this world. Paul Siobhan's friend gives evidence saying a man matching a description of McDonough kept walking past the car and glaring in at him. Um, and Breed gave the same evidence saying that she dropped her daughter off telling them to be careful but that she had there was like a lot of questions from the defence where they were trying to paint that like Siobhan had some form of like relationship that they didn't know so they were like did she have a boyfriend she seems to have a day for the Debs like but Siobhan didn't actually and also if she did who gives a fuck yeah um so there's the evidence from his friends as I've said the neighbour and then her his ex-girlfriend Joyce gives evidence to the argument that happened on the night but also uh speaks a little bit about like their previous relationship and how his tendencies towards violence yeah yeah On June 17th, after three days of deliberation, a central criminal court uh, jury found the 27-year-old John McDonough of the Dements Karen Bieg Carrow guilty of the rape with an object and murder of Siobhan Hines. Good. As Siobhan Hines of Sconce, Lettermore, Connemara at Tishmore Beach in the townland of Carabieu on December 6th, 1998. Cries of yes echoed from around the hall and outside the court uh, from around the hall outside the courtroom as the verdict was relayed to supporters of the Hines family outside. McDonough threw out his arms in a low voice and said, Oh for fuck's sake. Ni Jerna me which means I didn't do it, I think, in Irish. Because of laws granting anon an anon an Anonymity. Thank you. <laughs> um, of rape defendants, McDonough could not be identified until he was convicted. And the 28-day trial was held in camera, with the public completely excluded. During his own evidence, McDonough succeeded in getting relatives of Siobhan Hines excluded from the court because they were not directly connected with the case. After the verdict was announced, his parents, Maggie and Johnny McDonough, and his two brothers and three sisters broke them down as they had continuously supported him throughout the case and said you really didn't do supporting it. a man that you know was violently abusive to his ex-girlfriend a known piece of shit around the town and was the only person anywhere near her mm-hmm. and went home and changed his clothes oh and maggie washed obviously and maggie washed them yeah sentencing on Fucking the rape hillbillies. conviction was adjourned to july 23rd at the request of the defense McDonough's defence counsel said he would reserve his position on seeking leave to appeal the conviction. On June 17th, McDonough of the area I just called out, of uh, he was convicted of the murder and rape of Siobhan Hines. This automatically sentenced him to life imprisonment for the murder. And the sentencing, the sentencing was adjourned on the rape conviction until July 24th where Mr. Justice Smith jailed McDonough for a further 10 years for the rape. He ruled <coughs> that both sentences would run concurrently, which is not great. Well, it means he pay, he does the 20, whatever he does for life, and then another 10 years on top of that. So that is good. Is it? Yeah. Okay. 
McDonough raped Siobhan Hines with an object and then dumped her in a rocky inlet where her body was found the next day. This is the judge speaking. The teenager died from drowning and compression of the neck. The judge detailed evidence of a most cruel rape and backdated the sentence to the date of the guilty verdict. The defence has lodged papers of its intent to appeal the murder conviction. And Mr Barry White, SC, defending, so Justice Barry White is defending at this point, announced yesterday that he also intended to appeal the rape conviction. This this is a case in which the accused maintained at all times his innocence and is continuing to do so. Well, I don't believe you. He told the court after hearing Siobhan's parents, Mr Andy and Mrs Brid Hines, he expressed disappointment at the sentence. Miss Hines said she had hoped McDonough would get life, but added no sentence would ever bring her daughter back. And that is the terrible, tragic story and death. Is he still in jail? Oh, Siobhan Hines. I believe so. I don't believe it's gone to appeal. And it shouldn't go to appeal. Um, What's so shocking about that entire thing is that he was on a night out and saw his ex-girlfriend, started a fight, and then in a fit of rage, grabbed a teenage girl off the road, raped her with an object, and then dumped her body on a beach. Because he didn't know how to deal with his emotions. Yeah. And then went home, changed his clothes, came back out and started another fight to alibi himself. Yeah. Like the level of... Like Toss. there's a weird there's a weird thing set here where it's like he obviously just wanted to be horrific and his idea of being horrific was like that woman I can't get at that woman that annoyed me so I'm going to punish a child like I'm going to I'm going to violently hurt this girl because the one person that I actually do want to violently hurt I can't get at yeah exactly so I'm going to put take it out on this 17 year old and I'm going to dump her little body on a fucking beach. And I'm not going to... I'm going to rape her with an object. object. Yeah. Where is... That's a... Le- that's violence, Sarah. Like, mm. that's a... Le- all rape is violence. But that's a certain level of violence where he doesn't see her as a human being. But he'd spent the entire day being violent. He'd spent the he'd just entire a violent day person. being violent. He had a history of, like, being yeah. incredibly violent. Like, he just... Yeah, just severe violence, like incredibly violent. And I know for such a small community, it's shocking regardless. But when it happens in a community that size of people who know everybody, you take it personally. You take it like he's done this to all of us. Mm. This is not just, I don't know, man, raping someone with an object. It's just something I don't, I can't fathom. I can't fathom it anyway. No. Why would you do that? It's just like, yeah. Why would you do that to somebody? But it's just, as you said earlier on, it's like degradation. And yeah, it's like, it's like you're nothing. You're nothing. Like that poor girl fought and she screamed and she kicked and she begged. And that was the other thing that the farmer that had gone out hunting the next day, he lived, he lived very, like his land was very close. Mm-hmm. So he was asked if he'd seen anything the night before. And he was like, I had a cow that was... Um, Calving? Yeah. So he was like, I was out checking on the calf. And on the cow calving, he was like, I, I didn't see anything. He was like, I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. Like he obviously, he did it down a lane then and then dragged her out onto the beach. Mm. Like, and obviously he strangled her as well. Like there was, yeah. he. And her larynx was really badly damaged. Yeah. 
So when your larynx is damaged, like remember when I had the car accident yeah. and I, I lost, like my voice was yeah, like completely gone. gone. So she probably couldn't scream. So she probably wasn't making any sound. And that my larynx and my voice box was that voice box was like damaged, damaged from the, yeah, the, the accident. But like, do you remember, like by the, like two hours after I was like. You had no voice. Was no gone, voice yeah. at all. So that poor girl, her fam, I can't, this is. He did appeal. Of course he did. They all do. In 2007, they I believe. They all appeal. But I don't believe it was... They all appeal because the level of narcissism and psychopathy you would have to have to but commit that But wouldn't you be that, that narcissist and uh, be comfortable with pretending that you didn't do something when your entire family's like, we believe you. But that's this the other... This is a miscarriage of justice. It's, it's one of... The, they're obviously... No, they probably are one of these weird families that thinks that they're, they don't do anything wrong ever. How did her... How did her clothes get into your son's how car? Are you, how are the fibres from her clothing? You, and you say someone, how is her? how are her fibres? And that story he said, she had a one night stand with one of my friends. He was trying to make her out to be a slut, yeah. Sarah. Yeah. That's what he was doing there. He was like, oh, well, she's easy. So I'm not surprised this happened. Yeah. And then for, for them in the courts to be like, oh, she had a date to the Debs. Oh yes, she's Mary Magdalene. Like, of course she had a fucking date to the Debs. Like, I don't know. Of course he tried to appeal. I'm not shocked. They always try and fucking appeal because they're scumbags. But very well done, Sarah. Great job. Thank you. Um, her poor family. Fuck, man. What the hell? Imagine, imagine having to explain that to her family. Yeah. We found her on a beach. She's been raped by an object. What? You know, honestly, the whole thing is just. Like, how do you compute that? You don't compute it. No. It's you a don't. little girl. You spend the rest of your life. I think I you think spend the rest of your life thinking about like yeah, what happened what to happened? your child. I think you just, you just learn to live, but you don't You exist. learn to live and they have other children. So I'm of sure they're they living to keep together for, for their, their daughters. other daughters. But just the idea of like what happened to her and how, like all of these cases, but like how there's something. And she fought yeah. and fought. And even like. I know, and I'm, I hope her sister doesn't feel this way, but I know I'd be like, oh, if I hadn't have asked of course, her to come. the immediate guilt. She didn't want to come. Like, she was yeah. like, she wasn't going to come. Like the immediate guilt And of that, that guy in the car, in the car was like, Why, I should have just got I out. I should have just drove her up to the chipper. But, but he, it wasn't his car. That's the thing. And it, but it is that thing where you, you'll think of every reason, but the, but the issue here is, if it wasn't her, it would have been somebody else. else. He wanted to do that. Yeah. And he wanted to be as violent and cruel and repulsive as possible. And he wanted to take out whatever anger he had from that night on this girl. It yeah. would have been somebody else. It would have been somebody leaving the chipper after their job. It would have been another girl coming out of the nightclub. It would have been somebody else. Yeah. Anyway, Ross. Yeah. Sorry, I absolutely butchered the Irish. I apologise. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You didn't, you didn't do Irish in school. It's fine. I understand. Thanks. Like, not a, Yvonne, Yvonne didn't do Irish in school either. Because when she oh, came back from England, yeah, yeah. she was too old to, to do it. So yeah, we don't all, all speak the Oscalga. It's the Brits. Yeah. We blame the English for all of it. Well, I just, you know, I don't she speak Irish. Anyway. Uh, it's not our fault we don't speak Irish. Please, um, please, please understand that. Yes, thank not you. Not our fault. It was stripped from us. It's stripped. Like they took our land for 700 yeah. years. Anyway, everybody have a nice Happy week. Happy Christmas! <laughs> we'll be back next week uh, with more terribleness because m- mine is pretty terrible too. Um, and we'll talk to you then. Have a good one. Have Bye-bye. a good one. Bye. I have to wee really badly. Too many masks. Too many masks. Too many masks. Loads of masks. Never, never die Emma Where's the lovely
your second name, Sarah. Just call her Sarah.